Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. My special guest tonight is noted poet and author, Alexander Poster. I love that name. This is his second QLPOR podcast appearance. Alexander recently published a full-length poetry collection, A Refuge for Those Who Like Sad Endings. I want to say that again. It's such a beautiful, beautiful title. One more time. Just Thank you. Just one more time. <laughs> a refuge mm-hmm. for those who like sad endings. What that? Oh wow, that's so powerful. Welcome back, Alexander. Oh well, it's good to be here. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad you're back with me, and congratulations on your book. Uh, thank you very much. It, it, it was um, kind of uh, 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 unreal seeing it out, but I'm glad that it's out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Well, let's begin this poetic journey. All right. All right. Would you mind sharing with us what was the inspiration behind writing this book? What were the things that inspired you, Alexander? Well, um I guess uh, there are two different kinds of inspiration. You know, there's the personal kind of inspiration. I'm friends with uh, another one of your frequent guests, uh, Martin yes. Graff, who uh, yes. spoke at piano. And mm-hmm. we meet every week. We watch movies. And, uh, you know, uh, 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 he had uh, and has uh, these creative pursuits, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I felt that uh, uh, you know I wanted to uh, have one and uh, dialogue together. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, you know uh, the uh, impetus to get you know back into poetry and uh, uh, starting writing serious poetry. Uh, uh, as opposed as opposed to dirty poems to your friends, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, came from that. In terms of sort of the themes of the book, because it, it, if you look at the cover of the book and if you read some of the poems, uh, 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 this isn't the happiest book of poetry, uh, you know, uh, once encountered. Uh, I. Uh, you know, I had some ideas, and then I looked up these ideas, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I found that other people already had those ideas and expressed them better, uh, 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 better than I did. So, uh, okay, I'll, I'll talk about those for a bit. Um, uh, there's a fellow, and his name uh, was Ernest Becker. And he wrote the denial of debt. Uh, that was the name of the book. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, uh, by the way, he died when he was very young, so there was uh, okay. no denial not, no denial of death for him. But okay. uh, uh, he, he was a philosopher, and, and, and he sort of said that everybody kind of has their mind on mortality. And indeed, I turned 40 years old when I started writing this. I, I, I was thinking about that an awful lot, mm-hmm. and that it's one of the central motives. Uh, uh, you know, uh, in the human experience that it, it inspires people to do what they do, whether it's to write a book of poetry or to take up boxing or to do whatever, uh, what some of these weird characters in. Uh, so, um, that's, well, uh, well, it is all tying together. Because as I said earlier, that title is just so striking to me. I mean, it almost gives mm-hmm. me goosebumps or chills, just those, how many words? One, two, left. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it just really does yeah. because it, yeah. Just, yeah. it just stands out so. Tell me about the title. What was the inspiration for that? Um. Well, uh, it, it came from an encounter I had, and, and I've been married for 13 years, but it came from oh, an great. encounter I had with, with, with an ex-girlfriend a long time ago. And we were uh, watching this movie called Little Miss Sunshine. I don't know if you can see it or remember. <laughs> I remember it. But I remember it. I remember it. Alan Arkin. I remember it, yes. Yep. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I, uh, absolutely fantastic, and it's about this odd family that's trying to rush their daughter to a beauty pageant, and when they arrive, mm-hmm. uh, they find that they're sort of uh, underprepared. Uh, compared to yes, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Abigail yeah. uh, uh, Breslin, yes. <laughs> that's a great yeah, movie. Yeah, great yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 exactly. And, and they don't win the beauty pageant. But 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 they but but they do in some way, uh, you know. It's a pointed ending because the family ends up closer together. And mm-hmm. uh, the person I was dating at the time said, "Well, uh, well, well, I, well, why couldn't they have just given the movie a happy ending? I really like this family. Um, they should have had a happy ending. They should have won, uh, won the beauty contest." And I said, "Well, that that, that would." That would you know, ruin the message of the whole movie, you know? Um, yes. Uh, uh, you know, it's important that they actually lose uh, so you can take away the message. Uh, now, uh, since then, I've spoken to people about the movie, and they've said, well, you know, I kind of wish that they won. So, uh, you know, there's demand for happy endings out there. Uh, and yeah. uh I guess you could watch a TV commercial if you if you want a happy ending. Uh, I don't want to sound dismissive. This is a refuge for those who like sad endings, uh, who like the movie Little Miss Sunshine just the way it is. Wow. So the book itself is a refuge. Yes, yes. The, the, wow. the book is Very a refuge. Nice. Very nice. Uh, Very nice. Well, you shared also about the themes. Tell me more about the themes. Break them down for me, please. 
Okay. Uh, well, there's the uh, concept of uh, mortality and its uh, motivating uh, people. Um, you know, Orson Welles, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he wasn't a poet. He never wrote any poetry. And I, uh, I kind of wish he did because he was a very articulate man. And he yes. said something, and I think it's a universal thing to people. And he said, I'm not a happy man, uh, but there are moments of joy in my life. And, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the type of poem that I try to write, it's it's not a happy poem. There are moments of humor mm-hmm. in it, uh, uh, but 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 on the whole, if you, if you're balancing, it's uh, you know some of the heavier stuff and uh, uh, you know is is obviously going to weigh more. Um, yes. Uh, uh, the, the ton of bricks is going to weigh more than the ton of feathers, so to speak. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you know, that's just another uh, philosophical uh, uh, sort of uh, foundation that, that that when I was writing this, uh, I, I tried to keep in mind. How long did it take you to write the book? Uh, it took two years because it didn't start as a book. I okay. originally just wanted to get a chapbook published, and then mm-hmm. people were... Uh, you know, having contacts for manuscripts, and mm-hmm. uh, I try to keep writing poetry. Otherwise, I think that I'll kind of backslide in how well I write it. So there were just more and more poems, and uh, by the time I got someone to uh, say yes to the manuscript, uh, it was more than a hundred pages, and. Um, wow. uh, uh, you know, uh, two years. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, kind of uh, the result of um, uh, a, a continued effort and uh, not succeeding at first, but, uh, you know, uh, hopefully getting better. So. You know, I remember your first time with me I'm not sure, 2019, 2020, probably before the pandemic. Yep. I really enjoyed your work, and it was from your chapbook, I believe. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing your work again tonight. One last question before we move into why we're really here, to hear your work. As you okay. think about being a poet, as you think about being a poet, as you think about your own lived experiences all these years, Especially in terms of writing, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've been given about writing? You know, I've I've wondered about that myself, and I think it goes uh, back to college. And this wasn't the writing professor. Uh, I'm a historian. Uh, his mm-hmm. name was Ray Van Dam. Uh, he taught Roman history. I know there's a meme going around right now where people ask men how often they think about the Roman Empire. In college, I did it a lot because I I, I took (laughs) a Roman history class. And he was a guy who was close to retirement, and he just didn't want to read any more five-paragraph essays from students. So he said, Mm -hmm. said, you know, take what what you learned 
and, you know, uh, write a short story with it. Um, and uh, uh, basically what he said was that you should imbue your story with a sort of creative nuttiness, um, you know, that your story shouldn't be normal. And I really kind of latched on to that idea. And recently I was reading um, by uh, uh, the late comedian Norm MacDonald, who's... Uh, uh, who I admire greatly. I, I, I think in many ways his humor was poetic. Uh, but he said that, um, uh, you know, looking at modern art and stuff, uh, that, um, you know, to look at the painting and to see the strokes of paint and the composition, and not to see what's painted, but to see uh uh actually the paint and uh you know what's 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 underneath the illusion that's kind of the germ of imagination um yes. now i don't know if norm mcdonald was kidding because he usually is but uh <laughs> nonetheless I, I i thought uh you know wow and i thought about uh don't write anything adorable uh let creative nuttiness uh, 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 sort of uh, imbue your story and uh, I, I, I thought that these were two very similar ideas in, in mm-hmm. a way and that it was the same advice reflected kind of 20 years later um, wow. you know to kind so of it really does things. all okay I'm sorry please continue I'm just excited to listen tell me more uh yeah, that, that 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 you kind of see things differently, but also see things as they are, um, uh, uh, just because the of the amount of illusion uh, yes. in life. So, um, I, it, it just two parallel anecdotes uh, that kind of reinforced an idea. Well, you know, as I said earlier, everything ties together in a sense. I've been watching documentaries on the Byzantine Empire. And oh, wow. <laughs> I love the Byzantine Empire, to be quite honest. Yeah. And maybe we can talk about the Roman Empire, too. <laughs> and talk about the yeah, Byzantine oh, after yeah. the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm multifaceted. Yeah. <laughs> but what I was saying is you, you use the word illusion. There are people who feel as if, the thousand years of the Byzantine Empire was an illusion, and they don't talk about it very much. It doesn't say, it doesn't have the same resonance as the Roman Empire, the Western Roman Empire. So I mean, hey, hey, even we can the, talk about that later. Hey, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Even though the Eastern Roman Empire was around for longer, uh, yeah, uh, uh, there were a group of scholars about 50 years ago who just. Uh, said, what if this era, era of history didn't happen? And, 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 and it was kind of a joke. That the, uh, indeed, Western sources are really bad uh, during that time. Sources are better, which, which is good, because, you know, the Byzantine Empire, um, uh, it, 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 in many ways, was the Roman Empire. In many ways, was better than the Roman Empire. 
Yes. Okay, we'll we'll talk about it later. Yeah. <laughs> the focus tonight. Okay. Is your new book of poetry, everyone? Okay. Are we now ready to hear Alexander Post sharing his work? You're on, Alexander. <laughs> Take it away. Okay. So I thought I'd choose my first few poems as uh, some that illustrate this philosophy. The first one is the first poem in the book, actually. It's called What We Found When We Emptied the Sea. What We Found When We Emptied the Sea. Life is an unshaven leg. Cling to it like a leech until the ash from a red cigarette scalds our flesh and we fall alone. Sinking fathoms until the water swallows the sun and we rest in a sea of tranquility we cannot experience. When the water boils away and turns to steam, any remaining witnesses will wonder if all the world is parasites in Parliament. The second poem is called Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving Morning Thoughts About Death and I included this one because uh, it was the first poem I read on your show, and it still applies. Uh, It's the only one I'm going to reread, so um, I'm going to do that. Thanksgiving morning about Thanksgiving morning thoughts about death. Didn't wonder when I will die. I think it has to do with objects and my kinship with them. One time, my wife lost her blanket. She was swaddled in it as an infant. When we left the hotel room, I told her we had it with us. I thought we did, but I was in a hurry. I can't think about that blanket stranded in the wilderness and my wife's incandescent round tears without it being a watershed moment of remorse. I think about the time I yelled at her when she wore an efflorescent blouse, pink, with roses and butterflies. She never wore it again. No balm in Gilead, no sinner's cure, including her reassurance that a baby puked on it has has made me remember it without contrition. There are so many places I will not go and people I will not see. Charles Bronson once said, responsibility is a big rock that weighs a ton and it bends you until it finally buries you. I have no idea if he is right. He yelled that at some children on a Hollywood set. But I don't think he wanted to go back to that set after all his cater water. I'm not crazy. I know that every crazy person says that, but maybe you die when there is nothing left to swaddle you and no place for asylum, whether your heart is or not. Charles Bronson died at 81, years after he had stopped visiting familiar places, his hip replaced with a rock of scrap metal. So, um, the third poem is called Wisdom from the Mist, and um, it involves a conversation I had with uh, a boss I had, and a man I admired. Wisdom from the Mist. Old Ed Brin once told me it's not worth battling a tidal wave. It just isn't worth your time. And he was wise, the sort of man who never gets wet. 
I just wish the tsunamis were fewer because it's the small storms that drown you. So Ed hardly sleeps. He says he has the stamina of a shark. But really, he's just checking that his every breath is dry. So um, this fourth one, um, uh, and, and I think it sort of mirrors the first one, which is why I'm including it, is called Translucent Times. Translucent Times. I wish instead of growing old, we would slowly disappear. Rather than talking about Grandpa's D-E-A-T-H, the opaque children who squinted to see the old man would be unburdened and face the day with eyes open. But it's best not to stare at the sun, even if you wear shades. Days are long and life is short, and radiance burns the retina of the enlightened. My silhouette has changed. I cast a wider shadow as the years pass, and people who laugh about the sunbeams that I block should pull the beam out of their own eyes and embrace the bright blindness of clarity, since death is all around us, eclipsing the transparent. The last one I'm going to read uh, for this section is uh, the first one uh, from this project. It's the one uh, that uh, Marty and I were talking about uh, about two years ago. It's It's called A Million Chimneys. Uh, so here's a million chimneys. It's been a long time since I've seen a good tall tree cut up. Logs stacked, covered with bleeding autumn leaves. Then a flame, rubies flickering in the hearth. Thick gray threads spooling from the chimney, limbs pulsing, the threads animated and alive, like us. A fever forges no gem. Limbs knitted together like 1Y012, 4R15, stacked and idle while ventilator hymns play as an orange man dances by the flu. The fools of their quarry providing no warmth, no shelter for us. Hand me an axe, not a shovel. And uh, those are uh, five poems that sort of illustrate the philosophy of the collection. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go go back to those predominant themes. Mm -hmm. We have death, death, sadness, maybe. Yes. A melancholy, a melancholy... Is it a melancholy outlook on life? You think? Um, I, 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 I'd say at least in terms of what other uh, people sort of mask to the public, I'd say so. Yeah. All right then, because I'm I'm tying it all into the title, a refuge, a refuge where you can talk about death mm-hmm. and not feel ashamed. About talking about death, yes. and I love the line in terms when you spell death, you spelled it out. Death, I like that. That's nice. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. So if you can name, 
you know, I guess I'm just really trying to tease out these themes again because I'm hanging on every word, but I want to make sure maybe, well, I was thinking I want to make sure I get it right, but my getting it right would only be getting it right for me. It may not be the same right for you, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So with that in mind, how did you go about selecting the poems? How did you organize the book? So you've got this. So, <laughs> what else? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is oh, a lot. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I had more poems than went in here. And in terms of what to include, um, mm-hmm. one, uh, 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 you know, appropriateness, since there's an overall theme of uh, um, uh, uh, the collection. And uh, second of all, crowdsourcing, you know, that there are a lot of poetry forums and uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I would like to thank you because uh, you introduced me to uh, R.M. Engelhart, who uh, has a poetry forum in Albany, New York. He has uh, uh, kind of the same outlook as me. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, through R.M. Engelhart, I met the guy who uh, published this collection. Oh, uh, wow, very nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mike Zone. <laughs> Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, someone of kind of the same mindset and I would post them on my personal feed and post them in the forums and, um, you know, see what stuck with people, uh, uh, see, because, you know, I can put something together in my own mind, uh, but it can be kind of opaque to others. So mm-hmm. getting feedback from people was uh, very important. And in terms of how I arrange this collection, um, it's not all about death. There's some activism in here. Okay. Some of it's, right. uh, some of it's uh, political, um, uh, although when you're talking about uh, sort of the denial of death and doing things because you fear your own mortality and you talk about, say, former presidents, then there's a nice dovetail there. And there's a little mm-hmm. bit on size acceptance too uh, that I tried okay. to get in because I'm a large I'm a large man and uh, you know it's something that crosses my mind a lot and I felt that I could uh, fit that in better than I fit in to other, uh, uh, to some places I guess so wow um, that's a very powerful statement very powerful very powerful and I appreciate you sharing. The way you're feeling sometimes, the way you feel sometimes, because I feel that way too, in a different way. Not okay. fitting in. So I, I understand oh, that's why I'm resonating yeah. with every word that you're sharing, as I did the first time you were here. So <laughs> I I love your work. I really do. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I really do, and I'm very proud of you too. Because you thank you wanted to publish a book and you did <laughs> a full uh, book and uh, you did <laughs> that's beautiful it really uh, is well well well, uh, well, well thank you and, and again you know a refuge for those who like sad endings you know if you're someone who mm-hmm. doesn't fit in 
Uh, you're mm-hmm. probably not about all of those happy endings because that's probably nope. not your story. So it's uh, 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 no, uh, no, uh, no, <laughs> Alexander, please share some more poetry, my friend. Okay, uh, uh, we're going to do a few on size acceptance and uh, right. uh, some other stuff too. This one's called Mahala Mullins, and Mahala Mullins is uh, an ancestor of my wife. She's also uh, an Appalachian person of uh, some fame who lived in the late 19th and early 20th century. So Mahala Mullins. Everyone thinks Big Haley ate the apple, but she hid it where only the moon could see. And its midnight radiance made the bottom of it shine. The men gathered at the still, undeceived and thirsty. The Lord rose in the holler and banished Haley, but she had grown wise and bellowed. Take me yonder, if you can. Can God make a stone so big he cannot lift it? The earth is a rock, and the whole world is at his hand. But a hard scrabble hill woman at five hundred pounds defied the might of the Almighty. Catchable, but not fetchable, unlike the moon shining man incarcerated by dogma dogma. Big Haley rests in Eden still, teen children and the serpent she preserved at the fire water of paradise. The audacity of us to wish her well. The second poem is uh, from Sea to Shining Sea, and uh, this is about my wife, who um, me and her look similar in a way. So, from Sea to Shining Sea. Give me a wife who is vast, as wide as an irregular number, who I can count forever and never find the end. Give me a wife who is vast, who can envelop me in softness as fluffy as a cloud in the sky that I can parachute into. Give me a wife who is vast, like the hills of Kentucky that cradle so many in the shade of their hollers. Give me a wife who is vast, whose mind can finish the crossword in ten minutes but enjoy the prose of a menu for an eternity. Give me a wife who is vast, as vast as I am, and we will carve through any stone in our way in the warmest ice age that's ever been. Oh. Uh, and uh, poems three and four are an example of, uh, you know, why I might put two poems together uh, and why mm-hmm. together might be better than either one of them separately. Uh, This poem is called, It is Very Easy to Love Alone. A rose is a rose is a rose. Hemingway sold his baby shoes and, with eyes bright, bold, and clear, recited Stein. And Hemingway talked hardly about little things. Then they had a fight. No language passed between them. She did not need the shelter of his beard. Hemingway said, a bitch is a bitch is a bitch. And Hemingway talked hardly about little things. But his maxim still cradled her idea. 
Did he know? Was there a there, there? Old men, grow careful. And Hemingway talked hardly about little things. A gun is a gun is a gun. And um, then uh, the fourth poem in this group, it's called Everybody Hates Kathy Wood Right Now. Kathy Wood is an investment maker. Um, uh, so everyone hates Kathy Wood right now. Poems about investment are stupid. But a poem is a poem is a poem. If you see a bear in the woods, there is a maxim. If it's brown, lie down. Bruin was red. And the adage is bewildering when the bear is not in the woods. The broker stared at the bloody ursine streak sliding downward, as steep as the hills in Central Park, and said, Everybody hates Kathy Wood right now. Those were his words. Investors growl such phrases in unison. He wasn't wrong. That Nimrod opened her maw like a honeypot and sick the bears on all of us. Is a poem worth three grand? We all know the answer to that. But it should be, since words can be as sharp as the horns of a bull. And uh, the uh, last one in, the, uh, in this selection... This is something I never thought about publishing, but I have a friend named Alexander Perez uh, who uh, said he really liked this poem. And in terms of what I decide to um, include, if a poem has a sponsor, uh, you know, uh, a champion who says that they really like it, uh, I will include it. It's called Jungian Self-Analysis During the Holiday. Persona. The past haunts us, but I am unmovable as a broad evergreen, or better yet, a photograph of a broad evergreen. My instincts are my roots, and no wind can move me. I am safe from any tiller, shovel, or flight, and my trunk is too solid to bend with the breeze. I have all that I need right here. Shadow. A fireman throws candy at a Fourth of July parade. The kids run and grab every piece except for the crybaby at the back. A pushover, literally a pushover. Slim but always ravenous. Filled only with dry rock during these festivals. What I resent the most is having to retell this story every time my weaknesses must be explained. This section was written by memory. Self-pity has devoured me. Anima Animus. Ten minutes at attention without moving. The clock resets if I flinch or blink or shirk, and the drill instructors lie like a fog when they wish to make an example. Back to zero. The breeze makes me want to flinch. I flinch. F you, I've got all day, boys. Even in my youth, my back would howl. But when you walk on good wood, it doesn't creak when it makes, when it wishes to make an example. I once bled for three years without stopping, an empty sanguine space in my body plugged with a rat. My wife lifts the heavy things because my back can no longer set examples. So I lie like a fog. The self, a Baroque Christmas tree 
felled easily by a chainsaw haunted by phantom rooms. And those are the themed and grouped uh, second uh, batch of poems uh, I have for you. Again, I'm sitting here just listening, taking it all in, and wondering, there's so many forms of writing. Why did you choose poetry to express your emotions in terms of your life experiences, your lived experiences? Uh, uh, first is that I have a background, background with poetry. Um, okay. You know, for years, I, I didn't study it formally, but I liked writing little baudry rhymes to my friends and that they always enjoyed them. But when mm-hmm. I think about, you know, uh, you know my background, uh, my dad, who was a college professor, and my mom, who was a visual artist, uh, she did uh, printmaking. Um, uh one of the things that was most gratifying was uh, my mom, who's 75 years old, and my dad, who's 84, being able to take this, which is sort of uh, their genesis, uh, you know, uh, uh, the talents that they had and I was lucky to inherit and give them copies uh, of this book because... It's beautiful. uh, it's it's uh, what they're good at, and it enabled me to do an art project, but an art project that uh, still has this focus on language, which I've worked in professionally uh, uh, lifelong. So uh, that's that's Very nice. that's an inspiration. All right. So as you think about being a writer, being a poet. What are some of the important elements, then, of good writing? I think the best element of writing, um, other than imbuing your writing with a sense of creative nuttiness, but I think even before that, uh, is clarity. There are so many good poems that I have read online, and they're good poems, but they're hard to read. Um, uh, simply because someone hasn't enjammed correctly or they haven't broken things up into stanzas or uh, basically, uh, and I hate sports metaphors, but they're holding the back too hard. Uh, you know, they're mm-hmm. swinging it too hard. That, uh, you know, one of the things I did when I started uh, writing poetry is I did stuff that was too, pe- too opaque with uh, too many metaphors and too many image systems. So uh, I try to reduce the number of image systems, and I try to make the poetry accessible, not, uh, you know, accessible in, uh, you know, a way that this poetry is for everyone. It's not. It's a refuge for those who like sad endings. But if you are a person searching for that refuge, I want you to be able to understand the poems. Yes. You know, I was just thinking about accessibility, synchronicity tonight, because I was thinking, I said, as, I, as I'm listening, that your poems are not so obtuse that you, can understand, you cannot understand them, that you can understand them, and that's the beauty of your work. That's the beauty of your work. Well, I, you. I like that they, that they're accessible, and you can wrap your fingers <laughs> 
around the poems mm-hmm. and pull and draw from them. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So as you think about the poetic devices that you used, what were some of your favorites? Uh, one of my favorites is uh, the simile, and this is Why? someone. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I've read a lot of Sherman Alexie, who's uh, uh, okay. an American Indian poet of uh, 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 of some fame, and, and he uses similes. And I feel that sometimes when you try to jam things in the metaphor, it happens a little too quickly for a reader, especially if you're reading the poetry aloud. And mm-hmm. that when you explain that something is like something else or something is as something as something else, um, it gives the poem a conversational quality. And um, it's a device that I like to employ. Sometimes I see some very good poetry that's written using all metaphors, and I think that's a good way to do it too. But... Um, mm-hmm. I think this is what's worked for me. Um, another thing I like to do is um, limit the image systems that, you know, a, a, as a poet, you can have like kind of a fire hose of imagery that you could just spray at your reader. You know, your reader's not going to enjoy getting sprayed with a fire hose. If you give them, you know, uh, you know one or two paths that they can walk down, and uh, they can see you uh, uh, sort of thinking through the poem as they read it. Uh, I, I find they respond uh, a lot better to that. Okay. You know, this is your first full-length collection. Mm-hmm. Who do you trust or who did you trust for an objective, constructive criticism of your work was anyone you just did it on your own uh uh, well i i'd say there were three groups uh the first group as i mentioned was kind of crowdsourcing yes and nobody reacts to it no one um i start thinking about you know why are people feeling anything in this poem the second is marty grass uh, since um, he's done spoken word and, you know, I've read poetry for him and he can be blunt that I can read something I think might be the best thing I've ever written. And uh, his response will be, well, I don't get it. And, you know, uh, that that's a sign uh, that, uh, you know, maybe I should rethink what I'm trying to say. And the third, of course, is my wife who uh, probably gets the first look at the poems that come out. And and she'll either say that she likes the poem or uh, maybe you could do this differently. And every once in a while, uh, she is like, that should not go on social media, burn it. So... (laughs) (laughs) uh, I like your wife. (laughs) uh, She's honest with So... um, uh, uh, you, you know, those three people or groups of people are, are, are kind of my editors, uh, um, you know, when I'm working on a poem. Uh, and uh, they tell me the truth. All right. Very nice. Crowdsourcing. I've never 
heard that term used that way in terms of poetry online, crowdsourcing. Tell me just a little about that. Uh, you know, it's posting in different forums. You know, it's not your whole audience for a book, but it's a mm-hmm. fraction of it. And, uh, uh, you know, you give them a taste of a poem uh, or, or you give them a poem and, and you see what how they respond. If there are comments like, wow, that's a really good poem, then, you know, okay. you've written a really good poem. Um, and if there's um, people who say they hate the poem, that's, that's also pretty good, to be honest. Uh, the thing you want to avoid is indifference. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm going to look that term up tonight. <laughs> I like okay. it. You, I love guests who bring things to me <laughs> because I want to learn and grow. So I'm glad you're with me. We're going to take just a short little break, and we'll be right back, Alexander. All right? Okay. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with the amazing Alexander Poster. Alexander, please share more of your work. Sure thing. I've got some poems that they kind of illustrate stylistically uh, what I try to do. I try to select these poems uh, for that reason. The first poem is called Double or Nothing. Double or Nothing. My father and I are both ambidextrous. He can throw with two hands, me with none. Playing catch was as awkward as calling a fat woman pregnant. In the Depression, the kind you can't pay $200 a week to get rid of. Grandma sewed a pouch and Mother Kangaroo cinched his left hand inside it until his fingers cut themselves open on the thicket of soft velvet. When she took her gloves off, he was reborn as mediocre as a child. Yes, his scribble had the right slant for a world ossified and cursed. But every 27 days, he'd pull the covers over his head. And inside that cavity, he dacked out sinistral designs with his crayon that slashed lines red as a newborn into the chased white paper. He became two, a man with skin made of tweed, on a motorcycle, giving knowing nods to Rennie Davis. In the 80s, the kind you can't get rid of with an air conditioner, I could not follow the water to the light. A mother's love never loosens its cinch. Her cord guided me out gently till I was as blue as the ache from a fountain pen, a hood of velvet over my face, three minutes as silent as my father's generation, until what was left wheezed its awakening. But all that remains ain't right. I'm forever fettered by cursing, 
with no slant to speak of except during speech therapy. My skin is the typed word. Without it, I am naked. My father is too bad, but I am too in form only, an egg with no wider yolk. I wonder who I would have been, but if you told me, I wouldn't understand. Still, I played catch with my father, but I know he yearned to play catch with me. This one's called A Green New Deal. Um, and, uh, well, let's go. A Green New Deal. Kids these days grew up with broadband. They fidget and spin, battling away with unpoetic vulnerability about death doula scholarships as they study for their ADHD tests like kites with broken strings. I have no word for the color blue like the Greeks or the bygone civilizations of old. My wife has eyes of ancient greed. I hear greed skies, greed water, and I hear greed notes, but I bear no malice against these strange children. My cohort, envious like serpents, stole all the books about hope from the library and tempted our offspring with a digital sapphire stage, choleric and loose so they could constantly dress and undress for our entertainment, our, our entertainment. Now bragging is all they have, these lonely whales, who sing at bizarre and unlistenable frequencies in our jaded ocean. We will go to our funerals and hearses provided by Uber, and it's our own damned fault. But for now, stay off my emerald lawn and breathe the air from our greenhouse, while I get stowed with your dad, finest strain of Prussian blue that can't be synthesized. This one, um, thematically kind of similar, another poem uh, about color, in a way, color out of space. This, this is color out of space. If you saw the well-regulated militia cascade against the capital, Waves crabbing the gendarme into smaller and smaller spaces, and the gray and turbulent waters manifesting a violent monochromatic unity. Then you know men want comfort, nothing more, and they will find it in you. Authority is like a hydra. Flip your skateboard over the fascist's head, and two will grow where there was one, a perverse typhoid that spreads its filth over all it touches. But a behemoth cannot wander everywhere at once. The gaunt girl on the runway, emaciated and freezing, is no black hole for the male gaze, despite her militia acolytes. She has wasted away to her scaffolding and reclaimed her space by rejecting it, providing authority a spectrum of nothingness as comfort. And I, yes, all men, digest her on her own terms as she accommodates with comfort to the smallest of spaces where no waves dare crash. This is a rhymed poem. Uh, it's called The Load. I wrote it 15 years ago, and I updated it to, uh, um, you know, make it a little sharper. Uh, but uh, since we're talking about different forms of poetry, rhymed, unrhymed, I thought I'd include a rhymed one. The load. 
Paul, the pallbearer, the muscular terror, was stronger than anyone knows. He bore the weight of his corpulent mates, but wondered who'd carry him home. With shovel in hand, Paul spat at the lad as he buried another friend. With a skeleton's grin, he quaffed tonic and gin as he awaited his own bitter end. In his sixtieth year, with a curse and a tear, Paul embraced blood over bone, chose opioid bliss, the poppies that kiss, as he pondered the greatest unknown. With his powder platoon and a belt and a spoon, Paul did his best to escape. Pharmaceutical strife gave no meaning to life. Only tremors and blisters and scrapes. Adrift in a fog of needles and grogs of the world that he had belied. Paul pounded his fist at life's spiritless mist. There was no purpose that he could find. He said with a sigh, you shit and you die, and you lose a bit of yourself with each breath. Every woman and man seeks some greater plan, but the only design is death. With a click and a flash, thus splatter and ash, free. And as light disappeared, twas not death, Paul feared just his nagging humanity. So I sing my friend's ode as I bear a stout load and pray that my burden won't fall, because one day, my mate, you'll carry my weight. We all have our caskets to haul. I've got one more rhymed poem in this group. It's a sonnet. Um, since uh, Sometimes I like traditional forms. This one's called A Hate Crime Sonnet. A Hate Crime Sonnet. Time I wrote a note to say goodbye, then folded it into a paper plane. I launched its flimsy skin into the sky. It struck you in the eye and made it rain. My cycle always sinks with yours like that. At least I wish that could be true somehow. I wish my chest were not dreadfully flat or people weren't holier than thou. I like the taste of metal in my cheek. My ache for you is love that will not rust. And in your mind, I'll be forever young. Conjoined, we could one day be ash and dust. If I could make one final desperate plea, I wish you'd lie here now and bleed with me. The last one of the group. Thank you. What do you think, Alexander? What do you think your work conveys about the human condition? Um, well, it's not necessarily a positive one. Um, I think it conveys a lot of fear um, okay. that, uh, you know, people have emotions like uh, a, a grief. People have been through some terrible stuff and it's that fear that drives uh, people and fear that might make them commit you know uh, hate crime um, or uh, uh, ponder their own mortality and it's this uh, kind of uh, fear based in mortality but in other things too uh, that um, uh, you know, kind of makes humans go, and that's a sad thought, but I also think it's a true thought. All right. 
So then, is there a particular message that you are attempting to communicate with your work? What are you attempting to achieve through your poetry? Um, well, first of all, I'm trying to build that refuge that um, mm. I mentioned in my title that people yes. who may feel the same way as I do have a place uh, mm-hmm. to go with it, people who don't fit in. I have some individual causes like fat acceptance, uh, politics. Uh, you uh, heard uh, one of the ones I read was uh, a January 6th poem. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, basically to, uh, I, I guess as Norm MacDonald said, um, present, uh, art or painting is just paint and, uh, uh, without the illusion, or at least in the way I see it without illusion. Um, okay. that, that's what I'm trying to convey. And I'm also trying to write something that a reader can walk away with, uh, you know, uh, you know, to prove my point since I'm not writing, you know, a treatise or an article, you know, um, uh, the proof is in the emotional impact. And uh, that's also mm-hmm. something I'm trying uh, through my poetry, uh, you know, trying to make people feel uh Yes, you know, uh, uh, you know the world's the world's against most people, and uh, mm. you know, someone who's uh, not afraid of uh, uh, an acute understanding of that, then um, you know, I, I I hope my poetry is a a good place for you, and a place where you can feel that. Wow. So your target audience is anyone, really who needs a place of refuge. Yes, exactly. That um, I have, uh, I've read poetry, and and first mm-hmm. of all, I'm going to invoke this name, and I'm going to invoke it critically, so I want to make clear that I think this poet is a fantastically talented poet. But I've read mm-hmm. uh, poems by uh, Mary Oliver, and... Yes. Um, I, I find them difficult to like uh, just because of the universality of uh, the writing that, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to touch everyone. Um, I'll give an example. Um, okay. I showed my wife, uh, said sometimes I hijack the computer and show her videos from YouTube. Um, I showed her um, two rock concerts. One was a minor threat uh, punk rock DC uh, concert from the 1980s. And everyone in the audience is 16 to 17. Uh, the band plays a song, you know, Ian Mackay strikes that first chord and the kids go nuts. They go up to the ceiling. Uh, you know, everybody's moving around. It's like a tornado. And the other is uh, a, a better-known band who's doing an arena rock concert. And I'm like, you know, if you're trying to get a response out of your audience, you know, which show would you rather play? And, you know, in my mind and in my wife's mind, unless she was humoring me, 
you know, happens. Uh, 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 you know, the first show, even, even though it's smaller, uh, since there's that connection with that audience. So, um, um, uh, you know, fewer people uh, at the venue, but uh, they are on board with kind of the message that uh, you're trying to send. And that, I, I think that's the more important thing. So uh, I guess that's how I would answer your question. Very nice. Please share some more of your work. Okay. Um, these are poems that uh, reach out towards, uh, I guess, what I intend my audience to be. Uh, the first one is called Envy. Envy. I'm jealous of that cane you carry that holds your weeping body upright as the teardrops of your gait tiptoe like a midnight thunderstorm. I'm jealous of the braces on your legs, the soft steel that stamps its name uh, on your silky shaven legs but presses its callous skin against me. I'm jealous of the tubes in your arms, the erotic ether they inject which makes you swoon like my tongue once did between your lips. I remember the day I fell in love with the urn that contains you, caresses you forever, with a sort of tenderness I could never, I never could, as I stare at its curves with my arms empty. The uh, second poem is called Murder We Wrote. Murder We Wrote. When we played Clue as a family, Miss Scarlet was always the killer. It was my mother's warning about a certain... And as a young Professor Plum in the study with a candlestick, guess who I pursued? I don't like to dedicate poems, but this one is for the harlot the ones who don't yet want to kill me, the ones with scars where they shouldn't be, the ones that actually need the unpoetic trigger warnings I should have just given. Passion, by both its definitions, is a form of consideration, and the passion you gave me was a roll of the dice. Through laughter and lacrimation, verity and vulnerability, your court crazy intertwined with my as we took each other's meds, which were the same. I suspect crime that Clue lacks character, masculine and moonstruck, easy and wild. Make an accusation, open the envelope, and pull out the card I drew of myself. My mother hated when I did that. Uh, this one is called uh, A Final Message from a Dead Friend. Uh, true story. A final message from a dead friend. If you place the number eight on its side, you get infinity. Or at least that's how it's supposed to work. Call Amber the eighth wonder of Red Lion, Pennsylvania, because she had lost two toes from shooting fentanyl between them. Her parents found her in the basement 
lying on the concrete on her side, somewhat less than infinite. And after she returned from rehab, she was a lion without a maid, or as she put it, without my benzos, I feel like shit. The last time we texted, she complained about having to wear flats. Being the eighth wonder was a burden now. I thought of her one good foot for longer than anyone should have, and then I thought of what to say next. I asked what it was like to be her. Try it, she said one week before her death. I don't know if she was serious. I won't know a lot of things. There's no such thing as closure except the kind you invent. So I decided Adver, Amber died fulfilled. After all, she had finally tried infinity. And the last one from this group is also a true story. Um, it's, it's someone who um, uh, did not make it through the pandemic. This poem is called King Richard. King Richard. Every movement is a reaction. So it was no surprise when the mirror slapped you and you wept and dashed your gums until your drained stopper of a tongue slid down your throat, your face as purple and anaphylactic as an unchaste priest during Lent. You used to to eat Christ's flesh with dentures, a heavenly dividend the Lord provided our money and gave you your dignity back. But you still lived life in contempt of life dribbling bits of yourself on our white tile floor as your bruised and translucent hands pilfered our ark and gathered two of every blanket. Except that one Christmas you set out and returned, second-rate, colorless, and hungover, with a torn and tight shirt the wrong size, like the rest of us, and we filled with compassion. You were not holy. Your piety died with your dentures, but for those 48 hours alone, you toiled. No lie. You were as mediocre as a poem. But we were surprised. And the mirror was indifferent and unmoved. And um, those, those are five, uh, uh, I guess, for what I consider to be my audience. All right. Thank you. Huh? How did thank you, you? How did you? <laughs> no, don't thank me. How did you celebrate when you finished writing the book? What did you do? Well, to be honest, the first week was full of anxiety. Um, you know, getting everything in order, promoting everything, making sure people knew that there was a new poetry book. Uh, all of yeah. these forums are crowdsourced poems, and if people like the poems. You know, they got a post that, 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 that there was a whole book of poems coming out, uh, uh, making sure everything was okay with uh, uh, my publisher, uh, Dumpster Fire Press. So I'll just drop mm-hmm. that name uh, one more time. Um, uh, so it took a bit. And, um, you know, I was asleep. And uh, uh, Leslie is uh, my wife, is probably the only one who knows exactly under what circumstances to wake me up. So she tapped me on the shoulder. And it was, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, it was 6 or 7 a.m. And I, I kind of grunted. And uh, uh, she said, well, well, this book of poetry is uh, 
number two in terms of new books of poetry. Um, um, uh, you know, on the Amazon list for uh, you know American new poetry books, and and I was really blown away with it. I think I'd be happier. I, I think I was happier uh, that it was number two and not number one because I I, I don't trust number one. I think uh, okay. I think someone's trying to sell something. So uh, yeah, I, I got really excited about it, and you know the fact that not only had I written a book, but that some people were interested uh, uh, in it. Uh, it. It was a feeling of exhilaration and one uh, uh, that I didn't really realize until a couple of days uh, after it was out. And uh, then we got sushi. So much sushi. Uh, uh, piles and piles of it. It was delicious. And, 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 I, I, and that day, um, you know, um, uh, um, you know, I got to hold my head, hold my head high, and um, oh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really grateful for being able to feel that, uh, feel that way for uh, fantastic, uh, as you know, wonderful week. Did writing the book change the way you view yourself, your life, your lived experiences, anything? Yes, uh, it did. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be on people's shelves. Maybe in 50 years it'll be on people's shelves. And, um, you know, maybe the child is someone who, uh, uh, you know, bought the book will ask, what is this? And, uh, you know, the parent will say, oh, it's that weird guy we knew, uh, you know, a couple <laughs> decades ago. But then, then they'll open the book and then maybe it'll make a connection with them. I've published uh, stuff that's nonfiction uh, mm-hmm. before. Although, and I, I would consider this nonfiction with a heavy dose of exaggeration. But um, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's doing something in another format, um, and. Um, you know, really kind of changing gears. And, uh, you know, that made me look at myself uh, uh, a bit differently, I'd say most certainly. I'm going to rephrase that question and ask you to go a little deeper. Okay. Who are you? (laughs) Who are you as a result of writing this book and getting Um, it out there? It was very important to me. Uh, that I find a publisher for this book, that someone who owns a press deem my poetry acceptable before I put it out there, you know, before I just yell these words into the void. I wanted someone to um, say, well, their words worth yelling into a void. And putting out this book, I mean, uh, 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 what does it make me feel like? I mean, I, I guess it's the simplest answer of all. It's, it's made me feel like a poet. Um, wow. There's there's no money in poetry. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, people writing books, putting them out, 
submitting them for publication. And uh, you know, I, I I I I'm really proud of myself that I was able to get one through without sounding arrogant. Um, uh, just uh, no, you know, able to get a book out um, uh, that will you know exist for always. All right. So, in terms of literary success. Tell me more in terms of how do you view that for yourself? <laughs> You've been crowdsourcing. <laughs> you're number two, maybe you're number one. I mean, <laughs> literary success. <laughs> what does that mean to you? Um, <laughs> um, I, 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 I mean, for poetry, uh, I read that um, mm-hmm. if you sell 30 copies of your first book, uh, you do well. And I've been lucky to do uh, better than that. Um, wow. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, um, and, and I mean, success is, uh, you know, a moving target. You know, mm-hmm. once you sell or, or or achieve one level of success, you're going to want the next one. So, yes. you know, I, at times I've just tried to make an effort to stop and say, look, uh, you know, you did this. Um, um, it worked. Um, um, well, right? question. Uh, <laughs> Are you yeah. a star? Are you a star? <laughs> Tell oh, me. Oh. Are you a literary I, star? <laughs> I, 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 I'm a literary star in my sky. I'm a literary star in my sky. I I I I will right. say that. I, um, uh, I I I mean, you ask the guy on the street today, two contemporary <laughs> poets, they're not going to be able to do it. So uh, you know, I had a book published, and you know, that's good. So uh, yeah, yeah, my sky, yes, 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 I am. Well. I think you're a literary star. <laughs> and I don't I don't tell lies anymore. I'm too old to do that. So <laughs> So in terms of the crowdsourcing, we're almost at the end of our poetic journey, but have you heard anything from your readers, from the readers of the book? What kind of things did they Yes. Do? Well, they'll point out <laughs> poems that they liked. And it's interesting because sometimes it's a poem that I really like. And sometimes it's a poem that I barely included, but means a lot mm-hmm. to someone. And it's like, gosh, I'm glad I didn't cut that poem out of the you know, whole book. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 so I have gotten feedback. Uh, uh, that there's a poet in, in one of the groups, Alexander Perez, who, uh, you know, uh, really liked uh, 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 the uh, Jungian self-analysis during the holidays that I read. And I mm-hmm. put that in because I was kind of proud of it. I didn't think anyone would uh, actually like it, but he thought mm-hmm. it was really cool. And, you know, uh, it, it's very gratifying when someone, you know, picks out a poem that you like, or, 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 or even <laughs> one that you're kind of 50-50 about, that, you know... <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, including it, you know, maybe it was a good decision. So, uh, 
I, I, I have heard back from some people, and what's interesting is uh, 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 what they like is all different. So, and, and honestly, I think that's a good thing, that uh, uh, I, I think I'd feel differently if everybody liked the same poll, but, uh, you know, didn't read the rest of it. I mean, there's no table of contents in this. Uh, so people people have read their way through, and they've read their way through to poems they thought were pretty okay until they found one that they really liked. So, so I mean, people, I can't ask people really. Words. People really did find refuge in your work, right? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> you set out to write a book where people could find refuge and feel safe and protected. Mm-hmm. And you did it. Yeah, you um, did it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a success story. I I will say that. Yes. And yes, and it's uh, it's a voyage that's been difficult at times, but it's mm-hmm. definitely rewarding. And uh, uh, I think maybe I like that the most. All right, where can we purchase the book? I know it's already on Amazon. Anywhere else? I, it is only on Amazon. Uh, if you live in the uh, uh, metro Detroit area, I have a uh, father who went to several libraries and uh, tried to put the book in them. So it might be in places in, in, in the metro Detroit area. Uh, but mainly it's on Amazon, and it's $9. And, you All know, right. the other day, uh, you know, I was trying to fix some smoke alarms, uh, and mm-hmm. I went and I had to get some nine volt batteries, and I bought two of them, and it was ten dollars. This book, that, and this is me selling right now. This book will be with you always. Those nine volt batteries will be with you for two years, and uh, this book is cheaper. So. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you head from here in terms of your creative future? What are your plans? What's up next? Um, so what I've what 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 I have planned next is uh, I want to try and uh, get some poems and some journals, uh, see mm-hmm. how high I could go. Uh, I think it's a success story, even if there's a ceiling to it. Uh, 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 see, uh, you know, where I could get my poetry, throw some bottles in the ocean and see where uh, they land. And uh, eventually, and, and I, do have enough, I do have enough material for another book that I would probably consider better uh, than this mm-hmm. one, since I've kept writing even through the publication process. But... Uh, you probably won't hear from me in, ter- in terms of that if, if I pursue it, which uh, at this mo- at this point I think I would uh, for two years since I can't I can't exhaust my audience I can't exhaust my friends with a book every three months that's, and your fans that's and your fans <laughs> yep um, I, 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 
I, I, I'm going to take my time, write more poems, and try and write a second book uh, that's better mm-hmm. and uh, try to continue to grow, uh, you know. All right. As a All right. Try well, some different things. Well, when yeah. you write that second book, <laughs> come back and see me. All right? I would be happy to. Uh, you, uh, uh, you were instrumental in helping the first one get published by find, helping me find the right people for it. So, uh, right. uh, thank, you. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I did not ask you about the cover of the book, which is quite striking. You know, I love that word striking, and it is. Just tell us briefly how the cover was created. So, uh, uh, there are two covers to the book. Uh, the first is the one you see, uh, and, and, and I've got to say I really like this cover. And uh, basically Mike Zone, who runs uh, Dumpster Fire Press, said, uh, and, and he is an artist on staff. The guy's name is Dillinger. It said that there are, uh, uh, Dillinger had four pieces of art he could use as the cover. And I see this, uh, you know, here at night, uh, going into the water, uh, you know, approaching kind of a certain end, uh, uh, and, and, and walking out onto that pier, stepping out into the unknown. And I'm like, gosh, that is a refuge for those who like sad endings. Uh, the cover that I drew up, and well, I didn't draw it up, but the cover that I commissioned uh, uh, was made by an artist named Michelle Da. Uh, and uh, it's on page five of the book, and there's actually an ecrastic poem uh, about it, since uh, it was a copyrighted image, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, I I didn't want to have to worry about that, so I thought, you know, if I get someone to draw a copyrighted image, then it's not a copyrighted image anymore. It's a drawing. So, uh, that's kind of the second cover, and that Mike was kind enough to, uh, you know, include that too. And there's a little bit of art uh, uh, in the book as well, uh, uh, pictures, and uh, that's because I commissioned a few more from Michelle Dobbs. She's a Texas artist. Mm-hmm. I really like her style, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, uh, you know, uh, when, when uh, Dillinger came back with. Uh, four possible options. There was one, and I'm like, I like this one. And uh, Mike was like, Yeah, it's yeah, it's the one I prefer to. So, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it was kind of like uh, everyone who uh, thought about this and understood what it was going to be uh, kind of converged uh, on that image. Alexander, I feel that you deserve time in the sun. Thank you. I really do. You're an incredible man. Brilliant. Thank you. And your work, again, like I said, again, the accessibility, but also it's just more than accessible. It's real. And it's about issues that we don't talk about enough. And I like the um, concept of finding refuge in words because that builds empathy between people. 
Yeah. Um, I, did, I, I mean, if I had one wish for the world, I, I'd wish that people uh, could, could could have more empathy. Uh, yes. uh, to be absolutely honest, I wish that were, yes. you know, a stronger emotion than fear. And I was just a melancholy kook, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's the way it is. So, um, well, I want to thank you. <laughs> you made my night, and I'm sure well, the people out there listening, finding refuge in your words. Got a very bright future, man. Well, you thank really you. Do. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and on another note, if you ever want to talk about the Crusades, especially the third one with Baldwin the Fourth oh, yeah. and Saladin. Baldwin the Fourth from Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. The the leopard king. <laughs> Richard the Lion's the heart in the oven. <laughs> I love stuff like that. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, my friend, for sharing your work tonight. A well-written collection. Go out and buy it. Alexander Poster. Spotlighted tonight. Man of the hour. The man of every day. All right. And as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Thank you, Alexander. Good night, man. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. All right. Yeah. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.